Hi, and welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we're still married. This is going to be one of the best interviews we have ever done, and I am so excited for all of you to listen to it. But before we get to that, we just have a couple of announcements. The first one being that July 28th is our next workshop on a tightrope, and we are we are sold out. I don't want to say sold out, but we At are capacity. Full. That's right. And it happened in just a matter of a couple weeks. So we put some feelers out there to see if any of you would like to have us hold a September session. And there seems to be quite a bit of interest. So watch for information coming up on that so that you don't miss out on another session of our workshop. We'll mention it here when registration's open for that. Uh, we expect it to be open today is July 14th, probably within the next two weeks. So follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group, or listen to the podcast or any of the any of the above or all of the above, and you'll you'll catch wind of when that's gonna happen. Today we interviewed Carolyn Pearson. Mm. And if that name rings a bell it should because she has done a lot within the church Ooh, let's harmonize her most popular song if you don't look as most people do okay that's good I yeah think. that one everyone should know what that is just to be clear that was not me trying my best to sound good <laughs> Sure, <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, well, we talked with her. It was an excellent interview, and I think it'll just resonate so much with how all of you feel. She had so many wonderful, insightful things to say. At the end of the interview, we uh, learned that she will be releasing a new book. It is called Finding Mother God, Poems to Heal the World. And it will be released in the next three weeks, she said. You can find that on carolynpearson.com, or you can go to Amazon to order the book. Yeah, we would recommend going using her website, if you can, carolynpearson.com, because she autographs it for you, which is fantastic. Uh, it's wonderful. So uh, make sure you, you go there to purchase all of her works are available on her website yeah and you know what else she told us is that she's going to be reading the poems herself and it will be available on audible so if you would like to listen to it you can do that as well we didn't want to um we wanted to make sure to get all this information in so that you knew about it because once you listen to this interview i am sure you're going to want to read whatever it is she has written because she is just such a lovely person and i wish she lived closer so we could take her to lunch she's all the way in california yeah I, with this interview we just tried to stay out of her way as much as we could because she just speaks with such power and passion so we hope that you feel just as uplifted as we did having just spoken with her, and we hope you enjoy the interview with Carolyn Pearson. We are now beyond pleasured. What is what is a word that would describe beyond pleasure? Elated. We are elated to be joined. But I should be asking her what what the word would be. By well, ecstatic. Let's be ecstatic. Ecstatic. We are ecstatic. We are elated. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. To have Carolyn Pearson join us on Marriage on a Tightrope. Carolyn, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I am honored to be invited to your show. Great to meet you. Good to meet you as well. So for those that don't know who Carolyn Pearson is, we're going to talk about a lot of uh, your works, Carolyn, here today. Uh, you're a poet, you're an author, a playwright, a screenwriter, a performer, a speaker, 
a philosopher. I mean, you you uh, contribute a whole lot in this in this space. I think it would be awesome to introduce you by talking a little bit about some of your works. Our listeners may be a little confused. This is a mixed faith marriage podcast. Carolyn, are you in a mixed faith marriage at the moment? Indeed not. I am not in any marriage at the moment. So, I mean, that's a double strike. Why are you on this podcast? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll make a whole lot of sense why you're, why you're here. You know, looking through your body of work, I can just share personally, I think most people's uh, experience with, with your work, especially our age demographic, Katie and I being old millennials, we're still clinging on to that young, that young group, 38 and 39 years old at the moment, that our first exposure was to the wonderful primary song, I'll Walk With You. And mm. that was my first inkling of seeing your name there in the, the primary hymn book. I remember going to, uh, Carolyn, my wife and I met, Katie and I met on the mission in Spain. And I remember somebody gave me a CD of my turn on earth and I had never heard it before the mission. And I started listening to it and I was like, wow, this is classically seventies music (laughs) and very fun. (laughs) So, uh, it's, I know that many people here will be familiar with, with some of your work uh, as well, but I, you know, also on the mission, we found like a reel of um, film and the elders and we decided one um, day preparation day to watch my turn on earth. Cause they had it in the closet. And by the end, all of us were, were crying <laughs> and, and the elders are like, what type, what type of movie is this? Who found this movie? It was, it was just great. So um, that was, I love, I love that little story. Yeah, I, we did too. So Carolyn, talk about, if you could talk about My Turn on Earth, of, you know, what, who was the target? Who did you write it for? And what were you hoping to convey to that demographic? Yes. Well, Lexi Azevedo and I, kind of the musician, had already written a play together, uh, a musical called The Order is Love, which it should be much more well-known than it is because it's a really fine musical. But, you know, the church is not doing plays and musicals anymore. That's, that's one of the sad things. Uh, that was about the, the saints living the United Order. And we had a great time. It was premiered at BYU and a fabulous response. And then a few years later, uh, Lex said, we need to do something for children. And I had already written something that I thought could be just a little children's picture book. Uh, and I called it My Term on Earth. And it was just, you know, the basics really of what that story is about. So I expanded that into a, a, a broader presentation and gave it to Lex. And he said, this is great. Let's just do it. So, and of course, I was firstly involved in wanting to do that, to find fun ways to teach children why we're here in life in the first place, and how to live so as to make that successful. And so dramatically, you know, the whole idea which we fleshed out was starting out there in the pre-existence and coming down here. And I I really, uh, I think successfully used the the, um, little symbols of, of children's games in order to get across some of the ideas that we, that we need. So 
the the overriding structure is that we're here on a treasure hunt and we've got to find the treasure before we go back to heaven where our king and queen our father and mother in heaven are and and so everything here is about finding the treasure and of course at the end barbara has to go home and poor barbara i know it's sad i know it is it, it, it is sad and she she thinks she has not found the treasure because she's given it all away to people along the way and then she realizes and she's told under here are these wonderful little notes that come down from heaven of things that jesus has said that she found the treasure precisely by giving away everything that she had to people who needed it more so uh yeah that that, that play had a wonderful run semi professionally when you know when we were allowed to um to advertise in the church and i understand why commercially that was no longer possible but uh a lot of people have come to love my turn on this so carolyn that feeling and sentiment of finding the treasures is that the same type of philosophy you used when you were raising your children well i hope so <laughs> I, I i do hope so we you know when when gerald was with us we we had great family home evenings great fun he was more fun than i ever could possibly be but um and then when i was on my own with them i i just focused on you know so what did jesus say about this and someone just reminded me not long ago but um that i remember in in some i must have mentioned in one of my books that there was a, a when my kids were small here well i don't 10 12 whatever um a neighbor boy stole our christmas lights and i remember i i i sat them down and said okay what what did jesus tell us to do about this and and we we talked about you know is it possible to okay he said to return good for evil can we do that well first of all first of all my daughter stomped up to his house cuz she knew who did it and demanded the <laughs> demanded the, the lights back and she got them back But then we then we did talk about it and we said um you know this 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 boy seems to have a problem he he needs more light in his life so i said well, why don't we just give him a surprise gift let's put you let's put a little money together you can get a quarter or whatever and how about we buy him a flashlight and we just put it with his name on it upon the porch don't say who it's from and we'll know that in this case we did something as best we could that what Jesus told us to return good for evil and my kids remember us doing things like that that's great that's a really that's good that's a beautiful example really good example you know carolyn one one interesting part of a mixed faith marriage is how do you how do you teach kids right if there's if there is one spouse listening today that no longer has a belief in the divinity of Christ for example and a, another spouse still holds very strongly to that divinity how can you still teach those ve- very valuable lessons that you just explained and this past sunday we were able to have a really beautiful home church uh which we've been having for 
about six months longer than the church dictated for, because that's, that's kind of the compromise that we came to was one Sunday month, we're going to stay home and do church at home so that we could all have a good Sunday experience together when I don't feel terribly comfortable going every Sunday. So, and, and yeah, the, the, the lesson that you just taught would have fit in perfectly with, with our lesson was, um, gaining strength through failure where, uh, the, the example that we gave and, and it was really cool that I felt like I could actually be the one to talk through the story was the, the woman in casting the first stone and what he says to her, uh, what Christ says to her, uh, after the would have been stoners, <laughs> interesting way of putting it, but the would have been stoners, uh, walked away as he said, go that way and sin no more. He didn't guilt her. He didn't excuse what she had done. But he, he said, essentially, he gave her the flashlight. He gave her the flashlight to give her that permission to go and live her life. And uh, I don't know. That, I think that that's a, a valuable lesson. What, what do you think about that specific story there in the Bible? Uh, well, uh, that particular story, I don't know that I have anything really to contribute. Uh, I mean, Jesus certainly did the thing that he preached that we should all do, and so that's a wonderful example. But uh, so I was thinking of what what can a couple do, uh, similarly to the story that I told. If one of them no longer looks on Christ as this particularly unusually spiritual, unique figure with all of the the metaphysical, beautiful stuff that 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 a lot of people do. That I think there's a way to work around that beautifully. If, even if, even if you no longer, you know, and I haven't read all, but you know, the books like the, the historic, historical Christ and the various things, you know, that, that place Christ in a very different context than the, the the sacred, unusual kind of thing that we we talk about. But nevertheless, because. Jesus brought the most significantly helpful teachings that would, if everybody in the world um, acted on the teachings that Jesus brought, never mind where they came from, never mind anything about his spiritual status or his resurrection or anything like that, but to acknowledge that somehow or other, this amazingly beautiful man brought us everything we need to have peace on earth. Everything we need to have peace in our family. And, and, and then one could also add, and Jesus wasn't the only one who brought similar kinds of teachings. In fact, I think it'd be a wonderful family lesson to get on the internet and get, and, print off copies of the golden rule in every major religion. And that's easy to find. Just Google that exact phrase, golden rule in all religions. You'll find about 20 religions listed with the the differing phraseology for that thought. So I think you could succeed in saying, Jesus is the one that is closest to our understanding. And so we we speak of him and we're grateful for what he taught. And the things that he taught were also 
brought by other wonderful luminaries that were sent to different people from heaven. Um, or, or not even from heaven, you know, if we don't want to talk about heaven, that, that wise people all, all throughout history have come up with similar kinds of concepts. And Jesus is the one that we speak of the most. And Jesus would be thrilled to sit down with these other 20 people who, who said the same thing he did uh, in little diff- different words. Who are some of those luminaries in your life that have, that have spoken to you, some of those other luminaries that, that uh, have inspired you? Um, I love to read Eckhart Tolle. And last night, when I got up in the middle of the night and couldn't go back to sleep, I picked up his book for 10 minutes. And I, I, I love the way he puts things. And I also have studied a great deal of A Course in Miracles. And it would take too long to explain about that. But that's a, a channeled work. And um, Marianne Williamson is the one who's been the major spokeswoman, uh, well-known for, for, for that work. But there... Byron Katie is somebody that I have studied who brings in, you know, how to live in the moment, as Eckhart Tolle is, is also teaching. So I, I, I read whoever comes into my space that, that seems to have something to, to offer me. And there, there, there are a lot of luminaries uh the listeners can't see this this is a zoom meeting but if you look at um what we're looking at you can see just lots of books on both bookshelves and boxes of papers and so i can imagine that um this has been a lifelong pursuit for you to read and to understand and to think and to um to create some of these own um ideas and in your in your own life and in your own mind. Oh yes, I I won't live long enough to be able to read and study and think and write all the things that that I want to. But you know we're we're rich we're rich in in the availability of so many fine thinkers, and of course we're awash also in a lot of stuff that makes no difference whatsoever. That, that takes up our space and our, and our time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we do have to, to be careful to ch- choose more highly than just live in the, you know, in the, in the, in the bottom room. Most definitely. <clears throat> well, this being a marriage podcast, perhaps uh, if you would be so kind to allow us to speak of your marriage, uh, you know, listening to your interview on, um, some other podcasts and speaking about your marriage with Gerald, um, I couldn't help but but think of any parallels when differences arise. Uh, what do you do? Um, how do you treat it? Where where can growth be found? And the love that so clearly existed throughout all of Gerald's life with you guys. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, that experience with with Gerald? I know I'm asking a question of, hey, can you summarize 40 years of your life in three minutes? Uh, look, could be a little, little bit difficult, but if you could talk about that, yeah, Katie. But also, um, having said that too, you know, it's it's painful. I like I, 
um, when Alan transitioned out of the church, it was extremely painful for me. And so maybe you could also talk to some of that pain that you felt or, you know, how, how you were able to work through some of that. For those who don't know anything about my story, maybe just quickly give it. Um, in 1966, Gerald Pearson and I married in the Salt Lake Temple, and he had already told me that he had had homosexual experience and attractions, and, but he, that's not who he was. <clears throat> and he did love me the very best he could, I know that. And see, we were, we were very uh, ill-informed in the 60s, and the church was just simply there with a statement if you get off track in any of these ways, you just repent. You've made an evil choice. You just get back on track. Do all the right things. Marry a good woman who loves you, and you'll be just fine. And, boy, there have been hundreds, thousands of men who's, who, who acted on that. And uh, generally, it does not work out very well at all. So that's, that's what we did, and um, Gerald realized soon that his hope has not been fulfilled, that inside, in, his, in the way he experienced himself, he was still a homosexual man. But we did have a good marriage in so many ways, and then we had four children, and he didn't want to disrupt our family. He loved the kids. He loved me, but when we realized everything was on the table and he knew and I knew that he knew that he was not going to be able to maintain in the marriage under the contract that we had made. And we spent uh, two years in hell in Provo and then two years in hell in Walnut Creek, California, trying to find a way to salvage the marriage. And um, we determined to finally to divorce and remain friends, which we were able to do. And then we still kept uh, quite a good family unit going. And, and then uh, six years after that, Gerald passed away from AIDS in 1984. Uh, and the, the last part of his time, he was here in this house where I still live, where I was taking care of him. And he and I never, ever, ever talked about the idea that I would write our story. It was just too shameful. Uh, but soon after his passing, I, I realized that, um, you know, and the, the early and mid-80s was just a horrendous time for young men to be dying on the sidewalks of San Francisco and New York and even Salt Lake City, I'm sure, thrown away by their families, thrown away by their church, essentially. So I knew that I could, um, that Gerald and I had learned so much together, and I had learned so much about the phenomenon of sexuality, um, that I, I could make a contribution if I dared to. And that was terribly frightening. But to shorten all this, I, I did get an agent and... He sold the book to Random House in New York. And so Goodbye, I Love You was published in 86, two years after the death. And it was, it, it had a very large and positive reception. 
and I, I wasn't sure how it would happen in Mormondom, but uh, I was really so pleasantly surprised to see the, the tremendous positive response I got in, in Mormondom, certainly from people who had some kind of interest personally in a family situation or for themselves, but even from people who had no investment in the subject at all or just knew that they needed to learn about this. So that is how that book happened, and that opened the door for me to do a lot of work with our LGBT people. And, um, and that's, that's that part of it. Now, to your question about you know, how, how you felt when you saw this handsome dude beside you, uh, pulling away from the church. I, of course, I had to go through that. When we were still in, in Provo, and I, I knew that Gerald was wrestling so much about his, his beliefs in the church and trying to figure out. And so if the church is true, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong. There's no way I can coordinate this. And once he said to me, it, the, the problem is, I love the church, but the church detests me. And, and he, he went into tremendous study of church history. Church, and he, he discovered all the things that, well, most of the things that people are discovering now that bring them to what we call a faith crisis. And I was aware of all of those things. Uh, I, I read things with him. And... Um, but I did not have any interest myself in pulling away from the church. And, and to, to see him do that was very, very scary for me. And in, in my case, I think it would be double, triple, quadruple as scary as perhaps it happened for you, Katie. Because to me, it was part and parcel of being out of the church meant embracing the homosexuality. So, but in the, in the early part of, of our having to figure out things that uh, he felt one way about the church, I felt another way. Uh, just a little while ago, I remembered a poem that I wrote a long time ago. And I, I pulled this book out, and I'd, I'd like to read this for you, because I think it, it addresses, you know, the, the, the less radical schisms that, that come between couples. It's called the Valentine. I loved the Valentines we made in school. I never cut the hearts out flat. The two sides would never match for me. I always folded and centered and scissored out half a heart that opened into perfect symmetry. So they never had a side that was fat and a side that was skinny. I loved them for that. It felt sort of nice and tidy that way. The day we saw the shape of our being one. As if it had opened from some good design that made two matching halves, yours and mine. But I find we don't stay put like paper. We are not comfortable with gloom. Your edges have shifted, stretched. And mine have too, but not to a pattern. 
if we folded our halves up today, they would not fit. Occasionally, I itch for the scissors, I will admit. Ah, oh, well, I will put away childish things, cut them off like braids. We are no valentine, you and I. We are something so alive, so moving, so growing. I cannot yet put a name to the shape. I only know it goes on and on and on, pressing toward whatever border there may somewhere be. Your center and mine are one. And between the halves, there is flow. That is much. I will let the edges go. And, and I think that that kind of perception would work well for a lot of couples. And, and that worked well for me. Uh, but, you know, for, for me and for, I'm sure, some of the couples that we're talking to now, there, there will come an issue that is so large that the whole paradigm has to shift. And so it was with us. Gerald and I had to shift out of marriage into friendship. But we still loved each other. And Gerald was never unkind to me. And I, I was not unkind to him. We, we both were just riddled with pain. But, and for, for those who do not have something so huge, that the marriage just cannot survive. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in believing. I, I, sh I should never have thought that you would stay exactly the way you, you, you were when I fell in love with you. I, I've done some changing and change. If change is growth, then it's awesome. You know, if, if change is not growth, then it can be really troublesome. But if there is a strong center there, and if, if there is even a good center that may not be strong, I think it can be strengthened by a couple simply saying, you know, your part of our Valentine has gotten really weird, and then mine is really weird to you also. But I still love you in so many ways, and I feel that you love me in so many ways. And now we have children, and they need us both. So, so now, you know, if we can figure out the romantic love stuff in, in a way that sort of still works for us and bring in the Christ-like love stuff to nourish it when it's kind of fallen apart, I think that's doable. I think that so many LDS couples who are experiencing uh, this kind of challenge if there is enough in the relationship, and certainly the presence of children is, is enough, it, it, it may not be 
the final enough sometimes if if an ex, if, if a situation is extreme. But if if the relationship has good things still going for it, I do not believe it's a wise choice to let to let um, religion come between. You know, and there are a lot of couples now who are faced. You know, we we are so different politically. I can hardly stand. We have nothing to talk about, and and it is, maybe it's the same kind of thing. Even though maybe the LDS circumstances is different because for the for the truly truly still a hundred percent believing spouse the the stakes are so seemingly high it, it's 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 my eternal path if 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 we can't be together in what we have come to call the covenant path here. I won't be able to be with you in the next life. And that that makes me just extremely sad because we don't know what's going on in eternity. You know, I have just thrown away so many things that, oh, this is, you know, here we've got these three degrees of glory. Here we've got these three divisions of the highest kingdom. I've just thrown that away. I don't know how things are going to work out, and I don't believe anybody does. I think we have this wonderful, long, eons after eons, experience after experiences, the opportunity to keep growing and learning, and exactly how that will look, I don't know. But people better and smarter than me, Let's call them our father and mother in heaven. Let's call it God. Let's call it whatever anybody wants to call the the source, the ground zero of wherever we came from and might show up again to. Uh, let's just give them more credit for planning something that will that will feel correct to all of us. And, you know, for, for one partner to be frightened by a home teacher who would say, you know, if, you're, boy, if your spouse is not going to be able to be with you in heaven, you really better think about getting a, a new one here. And, and I know there have been cases where, where, where that has happened. And I think that's wicked, really, really wicked. So, Carolyn, I find you kind of radical because, and I'm saying that in a very positive way because I think that those of our listeners listening have a hard time with family members who are, who are in their fifties, sixties, but also parents who are in their seventies and eighties who grow up with this thought and notion that when you, if you don't have a spouse to take you to the celestial kingdom, you will not get there. Right. And, and so a lot of couples in our position are really struggle with the things that just their own family tells them and people, you, you know, all across the board and different generations will tell them. Um, and how do you, how do you combat that? Well, they could be entirely right. I could be totally wrong. I could be, I could be set for the lowest level of the T-Lesson. I'll see you there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to risk that because I, I honestly, I think if we choose love, if we choose love 
over everything else, everything doctrinal, everything frightening about, you know, this is what we're told, and if you don't do this, just to choose love. You, you can't, nobody can see what I'm, I, I'm wearing a, a sweatshirt now. It, it's, of course, it's hot, but it was cool when I woke up and I loved this. I, 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 bought, I bought this to support an organization in the Middle East, a peacekeeping organization. And, and the words on this sweatshirt are, love anyway. And no matter what happens, we can love anyway. And as we know, for some of the couples, there will be a, a division. That's just what is going to happen. But even... Even so, that can be done with love. In fact, I, I, I think it's, I would advise somebody just not, well, it's not possible, but I, I had a strong sense that I was not, that I was not to let Gerald go until I could let him go with love. So, I just urge everyone to focus on love rather than anybody's specific, hierarchical, authoritative doctrine. Let Jesus himself be our guide. And, and he's going to tell you, he'll say, love anyway. Love the stranger at the gate. Love your enemy. Love everybody. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. And, and it just saddens me that, that a lot that love relationships, especially when a family's involved, especially when children are involved, that some of these technicalities, and, you know, yes, I call some of the doctrine technicalities. They're, they're not the essence the essence we know because Jesus has said it is so and he, he's backed up by the, every luminary that you can find in every other religion. Jesus has said, and that's good enough for me, love everybody. And certainly that means love your spouse who has opened up new doors in their thinking. If, if that new thinking is causing you real pain in terms of some terrible actions that, that that spouse has turned to. That's a whole different thing. But if your spouse is still kind and loving and devoted and, and determined to be a good father or mother, I think you have no business judging that person harshly because of the technicality of doctrine. Carolyn, can you tell us how you and Gerald were able to love your children and and um, teach them love when you you were maybe on a different planes of thinking? Our children never saw us uh, be unkind to each other. They they never saw us fight. Of course, Gerald and I had a lot of you know intense, painful weeping conversations that they were not privy to. And, and they were surprised when we told them that we were going to end the marriage. 
but we did it in such a way that they knew that we still loved each other and that there was a way in which we still would be family. And, you know, as, as things progressed and as Gerald's life became more involved in his, his new world, uh, there, was, there was a lot that I had to give up, you know, in terms of, of our being a, a, the kind of unit that I would have wanted. But, but our children always knew that their father loved them deeply. Can I go back to your sweatshirt? Oh, yeah. Love anyway. <laughs> Love anyway. I, I, it's funny because even though you're wearing it, we can't see the words. So when you said love anyway, I thought of two things and now you're standing up to show us. I love it. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> she did it. We just had a Carolyn Pearson shimmy. <laughs> love me anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I took two meanings of that. I not being able to see how the word anyway was spaced. I, I heard your words and thought, like love regardless, just love anyway, sure. right? Absolutely. And then the second one, I took it as there, there was a space in between any and way of just love any way you can, oh. right? The kind of subtle I mean, little difference between the two things. Right, right. Yeah. Now, that, one, of that, the, one of the works, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, that's valid too. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say one of the one of the most well-known works that we've already mentioned is I'll Walk With You, the song that you wrote for the primary hymn book. And I know that uh, you have a new children's book out by the same title. And we would love if you would honor us with reading that book in its entirety. Oh, I would love to do that. We would think that would just be a delight for us and for our listeners. Sure. And the book that we're speaking of here is called I'll Walk With You. And many of you will recognize this as the title of a song that I wrote. Well, I was requested to write this song 40 years ago when the new primary, the, the then new primary songbook came out. And they, they called me and I had become something of a well-known person because of the success that my dear queer husband, Gerald, insisted that we publish a book of poems of mine called Beginnings. And mm -hmm. that really made me it, a household name for quite a while in, in Mormondom. Uh, and so they, I, I was called by the primary general board to, to, they asked me if I would write a lyric that they needed badly before they could send their new uh, book to press. And it would be for children who feel left out, for children who are different, for children who are handicapped in one way or another. And uh, I said, well, I will try. So I wrote this lyric, and they had a fine musician read Nibley to the music. And this has become a real favorite of uh, songs in primary. And um, even we sing it sometimes in my Relief Society, and sometimes they ask me to lead the music. <laughs> uh, years ago, my state president, two, two different times, asked me to, to lead a small primary course singing I'll Walk With You when general authorities were visiting. He'd love to show this, this off. <laughs> so, and anyway, uh, last year, um, the publisher of Gibbs Smith that I worked with, with quite a few books, called and said, would you consider taking that little primary song and extending it to a, a, a children's picture book? 
And remembering that in my contract with the church, I had kept commercial rights to the, the lyrics. Um, I felt that I could do that. And so I created this little book that you are now going to, to hear. And this is a, a, available on, on Amazon. It's also available from my personal website if you want me to, to sign a copy of the book to you, to your children, or whatever. Uh, okay, here we go. If you don't walk as most people do, some people walk away from you. But I won't. I won't. I'll walk beside and match your stride. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you don't talk as most people do, some people talk and laugh at you. But I won't. I won't. I'll talk with you and giggle too. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you don't look like some people do, some people just look down on you. But I won't. I won't. I will see you're made perfectly. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you're not as young as some are young, some people think you're just no fun. But I won't. I won't. I'll listen to and learn from you. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you were born far, far away, some people think you should not stay. But I won't. I won't. I know you bring such interesting things. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you don't pray as some people pray, some people pray you'll go away, but I won't. I won't. We're all, I see, one family. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you can't buy expensive stuff, some people think you're not good enough, but I won't. I won't. I'll look inside where treasures hide. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you don't love as some people do, some people think your love's not true. But I won't. I won't. I'll watch you share. I'll see you care. That's how I'll show my love for you. If you don't think as some people do, some people have no use for you, but I will, I will. Our thoughts will play and stay all day. That's how I'll show my love for you. I'll walk with you and talk with you. That's how I'll show my love for you. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> So, Carolyn, can I just say, uh, I, don't, I don't know, hopefully you'll know by the end of this tear-filled um, editorial that th those words ring true uh, for a lot more reasons than maybe you originally intended. Um, you know, that, that last verse of if you don't think like most people do, um, that's something that 
that those that a experience a transition in beliefs and b those that are now in a mixed faith marriage they we struggle so much with we struggle with all of a sudden some of our best friends some of our family some of our neighbors they don't want to talk to us anymore and um that can be really difficult so so hearing those words come from you there's a reason why that song has crossed boundaries of belief there's a reason why that song is sung at love loud there's a reason we were there for it last year and and oh my gosh it just it it broke and put my heart back together it was it was beautiful yeah so thank you from from the bottom of my cold dead apostate heart <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I believe Jesus loves your cold, dead apostate heart. <laughs> I, I like to think so, too. I like to think so, too. You know, Katie had uh, an yeah, example. I was, yeah, I was talking with a friend of mine who um, they are good friends. They're LGBTQ um, activists. Allies, they're, yeah. They're allies. They, uh, they are, you know, full-fledged members, and they're, they also um, are BLM supporters, and um black lives matter black lives matter yes and so uh i mentioned to her that i was going to we were going to be doing this interview and she sent me a picture of her and her daughters and they had been at a rally for both lgbtq and for black lives matter and they had a poster and i'll have to send you this picture because it's beautiful and um they have music notes in the corner on either side and it said i'll march with you and yeah and i and i was so glad that she sent it to me i'm in preparation for this interview because i just i thought that was i thought that was really very beautiful of her and her daughters and and i think that there the message um carries across so many different genres and religions and 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 people of all kind and so uh, we are actually so um, excited and grateful um, for this book that we want to give it away. <laughs> so, um, Alan, do you want to explain that? Yeah, you know, what we would like to do is, if you're listening here and, and you would like a chance to win one of the, <laughs> one of the five, we're going to give away five copies of the book, uh, and, and we'll, we'll purchase it via your website, Carolyn, and we'd love to get it autographed for the, for the folks that are, are going to be uh, winners here. But what we'd like to do is have uh, all those listeners spread this message, spread the I'll walk with you message by posting on Instagram or posting on Facebook uh, with the, using the hashtag I'll walk with you and just share how you are embodying this, um, this philosophy of loving anyway. <laughs> yeah. And tag us at marriage on the tightrope and we'll give five copies away um, that Carolyn signs. So yeah, I think it'll be easiest on Instagram. If you tag us on Instagram with that hashtag, I'll walk with you. Um, we would love to highlight some of those responses as well, just to share this positive message. And then within the next week or two, we'll, we'll pick a few winners and um, submit the order. <laughs> <laughs> So, Carolina, as we go to the next section of, of this um, interview, uh, it, it certainly is tied to what we just talked about. A lot of times, and I am actually one of the examples of this, a lot of times the belief changes, but you don't want to distance yourself physically from the church, right? Um, 
just knowing your story as well, you've experienced some of this. You've, you've kept some things very close and you've even shared today how you've pushed away some things that you just aren't of value to you anymore. And yet you've remained a, uh, I would, to my estimation, a, a trusted voice from within. What advice could you give to those listeners that are listening that even though their beliefs have changed, they, they want to remain a part uh, in a completely active role within the church. Uh, that's not everybody. Some people are saying, nope, I'm out, peace out, not going to happen. But if but for those that do want to, how can that balance be struck? Or how have you had success doing that? Um, everybody will find their own path. But there are a few things that, that I would suggest. And, and that's just to... <laughs> If, if, you, if you want to be a part of the community, just show up. Show up brightly. Don't, don't show up and skulk on the back row and complain and, and, and leave because you don't want to talk to anybody. If you have made the decision, you want to participate in the church. And, and there are so many valid ways I think that people might wish to participate while they still have, you know, all of these things going on. Oh, I can't stand polygamy and blah, 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 blah. All, all of those. You know, I don't think you have to be an 100% true believer in every possible thing about the church in order to want to be an authentic part of the community. Mm. And, and so I, I would say if, if you do want to, be a part of the community, surprise everybody by how brightly you shine when you happen to be in the room with all these true-believing Mormons and surprise them to show up, you know, at, at all of, you know, the, the, the service projects and the this and the that. And, you know, this is the same thing that I tell gay people. But when, oh, I don't want to go home for Christmas. My, my, my parents are not, you know, da 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 I say, listen, you go home for Christmas and you stun your family. You surprise them with how brightly you shine in front of them. Because they're going to think, oh, here, here's, my, here's my son who's chosen a dark, evil path. And they're going to expect to see you be a dark kind of person. Stun them by being brighter, kinder, more loving than they ever saw you before. That's how you want to do that when you go home as a gay person for Christmas. And similarly, I think for the person who maybe members of the word know that you're major questioning. Maybe they know that you've really given up on the absolute truth claims, but they see that you want to be there anyway. And, and of course, you know, you can't do things that will obviously try to pull somebody else away from, from their beliefs. But, but to just be there and even if you're not even given a calling make your own ways to serve look around and say oh here's some here's somebody that needs something that i have for them do it the bishop will be impressed and you're not doing it just to impress the bishop but as you do this the, the people in your ward who might have suspicions about you will say, gosh, I thought when somebody, you know, kind of loses their complete testimony about 
the one and only true church. I, I thought, you know, that means they're kind of going to be in the gutter next time I see them. They'll be drunk and they'll be smoking and they'll be all of, all of this stuff. Surprise them. Show them that, that you're an even stronger, happier, more giving person than, than they thought you were before. I think it's the best, the very best thing you can possibly do. Amen, sister. And yeah. Sorry. I know you have a question. <laughs> no, I, I, I just wanted to say that reminds me of the song. This is me from the greatest showman who the, the, the punchline of the song or one of the good lines of the song is just look out. Cause here I come. This is who I am. This is who I'm meant to be. This is me. I'm going to show up anyway. And I, that's a, that's a great message. And I think that it takes courage. It absolutely takes courage. Uh, but man, it is, uh, there, there's a tendency and I'm, I editorialize a lot and Katie helps me stop. So stop me when I need to, but, um, there, there's a tendency to get in this rut of why isn't anyone knocking on my door? Like just because they believe differently, nobody's going to come over and no one's going to talk to me and no one's going to knock on the, stop it. Go knock on their door. If you want to build relationships and build friendships and maintain friendships, don't throw yourself a pity party. Go and knock on their door. Go invite them over to your house. Invite them to the hot tub. Invite them to eat the brisket. Invite them to do this. Invite them to do that. Take it upon yourself. Absolutely. And not, not with any underhanded motive that I'm going to figure out how to tell you, you know, why the book of Abraham is da 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 <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, so you can't try to convert them. They would like to re reframe your, your belief system. But if, if those things are put away and, and we have two people here or two families who are just such good people with such good hearts, who want to bless each other, who want to bless the world, there's no reason that, that one's activity in the church should, should come between these, these families having a happy experience together. Um, I can't believe I'm the one that's going to say this. Oh, okay. This probably should have come from you. But so, I mean, I see Alan's effort into coming to church and to being, you know, people looking at him not as the one that's left, but as the he's showing up, he's being there, he's supporting our family, he's supporting our community, and he's still loving those people around us, right? But one of the tr things that um, I think the cycles and um, things that are really difficult for him is that, you know, when he does say things that aren't controversial, they're just a different way of looking at it. He is met with such uh, skepticism and um, really ang anger um, from the other members. And it could be just as very benign as possible, but because his feelings or doesn't fit the narrative anymore and he may present a different outlook it is it's very difficult to um to talk about because he he's received poorly and and so what for those of us who are still in and, and members and i mean what what can we do to help open up those lines of communication for for those who are trying to stay and to be a a positive part of our ward family. Mm. Well, of, of course, for the 
for the, the true believer to open up the circle wide enough. You know, that's that, that great little poem. What, what is it? You know, you, you, they, they drew a circle that took, kept, kept me out. I drew a circle to bring them in. Um, it, and this, this pertains to both the believer and the non-believer. We each have to draw a larger circle that will bring in the, those people. I would certainly suggest to the, to, the, to the non-believing person who goes to church, this is not the place for you to insist that everybody hear all your grievances. <laughs> you don't need to do that. And if, if, it, if it's appropriate to, to say something that, uh, that, that you feel is important and might be just a little bit, a little bit off what most people are thinking. Find a way to do it gently and kindly. But, uh, you know, what? I have never, in, in any church meeting, when I've been speaking in sacrament meeting or, or when in, in Relief Society discussions, I, I've never said anything that would embarrass a teacher I've never said anything that would cause my bishop to say, oh, now what am I going to do about this? Instead, you know, when one of my subjects is the importance of God the Mother. In the 90s, I wrote and performed a play called Mother Wove the Morning. I hired a theater to make all of my important information known. And, and when it comes time for, for church... You know, I will, I will just very gently, you know, if we're having a discussion about God, I will very gently remind the, the sisters, you know, we're, we're bound by our language, but we have to remember that our creator is our heavenly mother as well as father. And um, as, as far as I can tell, the people in my ward love me. Maybe they're all pretending, but I don't think so. Oh, I doubt it. No, never. <laughs> And, 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 and I've been told that they love it when I, you know, just kind of push the envelope a little bit. But I've learned how to, how to do that. You know, years ago when, uh, when President Hinckley made the, the statement that some people have been praying to Heavenly Mother and no, we're not to do that, you know. And maybe that's before you guys even came on board to, to notice these kinds of things. But in, anyway... And, and I, I've never been called in, like, to say, oh, we've got to have a, a council on you or something. But I've, I've always had good conversations with my bishops and my state presidents. And, and I had a good visit with my state president after that particular thing. And I said, um, listen, I want you to know that I will, that, that I will never say an, uh, a prayer that would surprise people in, w- within the church. I, I, I have no need to... Uh, you know, to uh, what's the word when you take over the airplane and move it somewhere else to hijack? Hijack, yeah. I have no need to hijack a meeting. I, I will never do that. And and he said, "Oh, good. Then I'm I'm asking you to say the opening prayer in in state conference next next month." So I think I have been very careful about, and and I, I have had uh, bishops thank me for not bringing my particular issues into the into the church yeah, building. 
of course, you know, there are always members who seek me out and say, oh, I want to talk to you about this and this and this, and we go for a walk, and I'm totally um, open with them about that. But that's, it's not my place within the walls of the chapel to, to do anything that would not feel correct to the people who are there. Except to be just a little bit, a little bit here and a little bit there, for which I am thanked. So, you know, one thing I think about when we talk about, you know, just maybe pushing the envelope, just let them think a little bit, um, but not going beyond that. I, I, I think a little bit about your, the book that you wrote, The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy. I have to mention it because uh, I think for a lot of women, this is a very, very difficult subject. Uh, I've, I've, been in, I've been in meetings where they've completely skipped over it. They did not, they just did not talk about it, even though it was in the lesson plan. What were your thoughts in writing that book? And how do we talk about it in a constructive way when it comes to church or relief society? Because it is, it is a very emotional subject. Sure. Well... <laughs> <laughs> you have you have 20 seconds I'm just kidding. so you sort of asked me what brought me to to do that yeah a life a, a lifetime of anger brought me to do that um, but as i say on page one of the book i am not angry today as i sit down to begin this book i have been angry but i have learned that anger is good as a fuel but not as a destination. And I think you will agree that, um, that anger does not run through that book. <clears throat> and, and that my affection for Joseph uh, as a multi-level, unusual kind of different uh, a, a person that I can love and also say he made errors, which we know he made errors along the way. Um, so I, I, I just knew that, um, that I, I have a calling in this community to, to tackle some interesting subjects. And that's why I <clears throat> somehow, fate or fortune or heaven or whatever, got me together with Gerald Pearson to work all of that out. And, and the consequence of that is a very valuable contribution to thousands of uh, families who have LGBT members and, and the, the uh, gay, lesbian sisters and brothers. And similarly, see, I was born into what we call women's issues, and then I married into gay issues. But what we call women's issues are just, you know, really human issues that, that, that affect men every bit as much as they affect women. And it's just been so clear to me the incredible damage that from day one has been the only legacy of LDS polygamy. And so I decided to really learn if, if what I believed was correct and uh, about the pain that it continues to, to have. Well, see, over the years, I have received hundreds of letters from Mormon women who found somebody that they could express something to. And I have known about the terrible pain 
that, that women feel, if I die before he does, surely he's going to marry in the temple again. And then I'm, I'm, I'm set for a, an eternal polygamous marriage, whether I want to or not. That's a terrible thought. And, uh, and, and a, a big, won't, I won't take time to go into the ways this damages men as well. But uh, I, I sent, when I decided to do it, I did something. I sent out a, a, a survey and to ask uh, current MDS people, former Mormons, men, women, what they thought of the inequality in the sealing practices and the concept that we still have of internal polygamy. And on day one, I thought, what was it? More than, more than 1,400, I've forgotten, I don't know what, a, a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of responses. And uh, by the time we closed it down, we had over 8,000 um, responses to this, with the huge majority expressing tremendous discomfort. With this and, and women and men telling their stories. So I spent a whole summer reading through thousands of these little responses. And the pain that was evident is unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. So I put together that book with featuring the voices of these women and these men who today, right now, are in the unbelievable and insupportable pain, inexcusable pain because of our ongoing concept of eternal polygamy. And there's a lot of history that's entwined in that and a lot of my own personal story entwined. But I loved writing that book because I knew it was going to be useful for a lot of people. And so that's that's how that happened. And, and I'm very often I get an email from a woman or, or even or a man who says, I can't tell you how much this has helped me. In fact, this has helped me to stay in the church. I thought if I ever get, I, I hate polygamy so much, but I thought if I ever threw it away, I'd have to throw away the whole church. And you've shown me a way I don't have to do that. So really, the church ought to have paid me to write that book. <laughs> But uh, I that that's so that's how that book came to be. Thank you for that for that context. Uh, we want to read. You know, earlier today we posted in our Facebook group for this podcast that we were going to be interviewing you, and we got a few questions, but also a few comments um, on this specific topic. Uh, one of our good friends, Marie, wrote: "The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy is one of the most interesting and sobering books I've ever read." And then another listener responded with: "Ditto. That book helped me so much with polygamy." She gave me permission to put it away, and no one ever has. And isn't, isn't it astonishing that we need permission from anybody outside ourselves mm. to say, this is wrong, I'm putting it away. Uh, and I remember the struggle that I had to go through in doing that, and I tell about it in the Ghost of Eternal Community, you know, especially when my marriage fell apart and everything was on the floor in shambles. Everything about the church, everything about God, everything about life was just in pieces. And I had to get down on my knees and pick up every little shard and say, is this one worth keeping or do I throw it away? Yeah. And I, I threw away a lot and, and I kept them. And I think everybody should 
feel that they have the 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 the, the position in God's family to do that for themselves. Absolutely, think that's crucial. Very, very important. I Katie, think, anything I think, else on this topic? Well, I, I, you're answering a lot of the questions that the listeners had about, you know, about writing these books. Um, there's, there was one more that I wanted to read because I think it, this sums up what maybe some people might be thinking right now, because we've, we've talked, we've talked about polygamy. We've talked about your book. You're, um, you're an LGBTQ ally. Um, this, this says, this comes from Emily and she says, Carolyn Pearson is seriously one of my very favorite people on the planet. I would love to honestly know how she reconciles her faith. She is very bold in de- in declaring her belief about polygamy being wrong as well as LGBTQ stances in the church. But yet somehow she remains faithful in the gospel and I really want to know how she does it. She is the most open-minded, loving of all people rebellious feminist progressive Mormon I have ever known and I freaking love her for it. I have so much love and adoration. I can't wait to hear this interview. How would you respond to that? Well, thank you. Thank you for all of that, of course. And well, I just hold to the things that I know are true and useful. And, and I find a lot in the church that is true and useful. You know, I, I, right now I'm doing, um, you know, our, our ministry to, to, to the women. And I've got five women. That and, and I think I'm probably one of the few that, that regularly phones our visits in person, goes for walks with my women. And my Relief Society president loves me. Uh, and so, but these are the things that I know are right and useful and good. If I were called to, to 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 do something about getting people ready for re-embracing polygamy, I'd have to say thank you. No, that that's not that's not on my list of things that I am called to do. But I, I just know what. And never mind, you know what the bishop calls you to do. What does God call you to do? And and you, you can do. God can call you to do. Things anywhere at the grocery store, at wherever you are, in, in whatever circle you 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 are in. And I know it, it is confusing for a lot of people who who have changed their paradigm in terms of truth, I and mean, you know, in in terms of of absolute fact. But if if you can manage the facts as, as you learn them and say, you know, this, this is still my home. I still find Christ here in a lot of ways. And, and I still find that I can learn and serve here and then create a place for, by yourself that is kind of using your own gifts and, and not doing anything shocking, but doing it to, to push along the things that you, that you believe in. You know, leave the things that you don't believe in, leave them home. But the things that you do believe in, 
And, you know, I love to watch the young men in our ward with their babies. That just thrills me. You know, I, I wish every child in the world could have, you know, like the, the, the public commitment of this father blessing his child. I, I love those kinds of things. Uh, and and the, the things that I don't love, I just kind of put away. And the things that I don't love that I feel called to address, then I address them. But I've learned to do it in a way that's gracious, I think. You have just stricken the balance that we are all searching for. And you are so wise and just say things in such a way that makes complete sense. And, you know, I was going to... I was going to say, you know, your, your beautiful poem entitled Valentine, you know, Alan and I, we, we do run a six week course where we taught, we do a workshop with couples who are going through this and your poem Valentine sums up exactly what we do in six weeks. And so no need to take the course guys, just (laughs) Just read that, read that poem over and over again by Carolyn, because um, I think that I have, we, I, I received so much out of that and it resonated so much with where Alan and I are. And you, you just put things in such a simple, beautiful way that um, it's very encouraging. It's encouraging to think that we could go on living this way and finding our own truth and finding the things that we reject and that we love and that, you know, that we can go and uh, present ourselves saying, this is who we are. This is how, you know, this is how we feel. And we we're here to love anyway. Yes. You know what? I, I just found another little poem I want to share with you. If we, if we can also have some kind of a sense of humor about, you know, all these harsh, grinding things that we're having to work through. Oh, my beliefs and your beliefs. And oh, I, I, I just happened to turn the page to this. So this little verse called Wrong, Right? You are clearly wrong, and I am clearly right. But I will support your being wrong, which is clearly the right thing for me to do. Because after all, being wrong may be right for you. And it would be wrong of me to make you right. So be wrong as long as you want to. It's quite all right. (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's a great, that's great. That just fits in here as well. Thank you so much. Carolyn, we, uh, I couldn't have imagined this going better than it has. And, and you are to thank for that. So thank you so much for joining us on Marriage in a Tightrope. I want to make sure that, uh, Katie, do you have any last questions or So or Carolyn, for those who would love to purchase your book, either through your website or, um, did you say it's through Amazon or people who want to write you an email, how can they... How can they get a hold of you? Sure. Go to my website, carolynpearson.com, and you can send me an email there, and you can uh, order all of the books there. There are a lot of that are out of print now, but there's plenty that are still in print that, that you might want to, to look into. You know, I think the coolest title of, of any book that you've written is, I'm still a hot babe, but now it comes in flashes. <laughs> Yeah, and I have two of those little humor books. You know, they're just compilations of silly, funny things. Because we do need to laugh. Absolutely. 
And, you know, maybe humor is a sacred kind of thing. You know, so when I offer this little verse that kind of makes this giggle and then has truth to it, if a couple ever stops laughing, then, you know, then it's just really, really hard to get back up again. Gerald and I had a lot of fun and laughter together. And a lot of absolute anguish, tears together. But, you know, but whatever, whatever is in front of us, you know, just think of this, this great little sweatshirt here, love anyway. And if the couple has to part because things are entirely impossible, then figure out to love anyway. But if, if it is possible to maintain this couplehood, to maintain the family, for the sake of your own, and what if you, what if the Lord really wants you to be here to learn something important from this other person? What if it's really vital that you not take the easy way out and say, oh, hey, you don't think like I do anymore. I'm done. I'm done with you. What if that means you are now going back to kindergarten? What if right now you got up to fifth grade? But your spouse is now kind of pulling in a different direction. Oh, no, I liked it better down in first grade when it was all hugs and kisses and deliciousness. Well, nobody gets to stay in first grade forever. You can't do that. You know, I love the, the LDS phrase, eternal progression. And, and, and I really think everything that comes into our lives, if we use it with some measure of intelligence and love, can be a, a step in our eternal education. And, you know, so for the, for the true believers out there, I want to beg you, do not throw away this beautiful person that you fell in love with because he or she now has a different world view or a different view of heaven. I just don't think Jesus would want that. That, that. That's not a solution. That's not a solution. So let us just put love first. Love anyway. Thank you again, Carolyn. That's a great message to, to end the episode on. We, again, would direct people to carolynpearson.com. Thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. I have had such a good time. Oh, good. That's so great. Blessings to all of us.